someone who knows what it's like, well, uh, she doesn't personally know what it's like, but she certainly knows what it's like to send a loved one off to war and then to find that that loved one isn't even being treated fairly by the very government that sent him to war. And I'm talking about a war hero by the name of Jeremy Brown, who has now qualified through petition process to run for the Florida House of Representatives. He, he got enough petitions and he is behind bars. He's been behind bars for 223 days as a result of the January 6th nonsense. Um, so believe me, th this infuriates me, but I'm glad that I, I have his uh, close friend, girlfriend, Tylene Aldridge on the line who can help me just make sense of this. How are you? Hi, Joyce. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I'm sure I'm a lot better than you are. This must have been an, a nightmare for the last almost year. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, every day I wake up, I still feel like it's a dream and a, really a nightmare. Now, now you guys are from, uh, uh, are where, from Tampa in Florida here? Tampa, Florida, correct. correct. Okay. And now, uh, you know, Jeremy himself was a retired Special Forces combat veteran, you know, the kind of guy everybody wants their, their daughter to marry, a volunteer firefighter, uh, you know, just a, a good guy all around, a successful entrepreneur. What happened? Uh, I mean, obviously, he, he must have attended the rally in Washington. And, and what happened subsequent to that? Right. So the whole purpose, Jeremy, went to the Capitol on January 6th was to provide security at a rally that was permitted. So his only goal of going to January 6th was to provide security. And he never went into the Capitol. He was there providing security. And and what happened? I mean, he came ha out. He came home. When did all of this, you know, start falling apart? Right. So um, prior to um, Jeremy going to the Capitol on January 6th, the FBI came to our front door, knocked on our front door, and um, basically asked Jeremy, uh, just basically said, you know, we have some concerns about stuff we had been posting online. So Jeremy agreed to meet with them in a public area, told them he would be recording the conversation, which he did, and the conversation basically was them trying to recruit Jeremy to be a confidential informant and spy on the American people. Well, clearly Jeremy would not do that. He would never turn his back on the American people. So um, he held on to that audio for about three or four months, and it wasn't until Christopher Ray was in front of Congress saying that there were no FBI agents at the Capitol January 6th, and that was Jeremy Chigger to really release this, this audio and let the public and the American people know what the FBI was up to. So then he, he was arrested in, in September of 2021 for withholding that tape, which was basically within his constitutional rights, not to mention defending my rights. Um, and, and Correct. And he's still sitting there since September of 2021 in the Pinellas County Jail? Correct. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm obviously stunned, but you've been living with this long enough so that the, the, the insanity has kind of worn off. And now, you know, here's my question. What possessed him to decide to try and run for the Florida House 
while imprisoned at a maximum security facility. <laughs> well, um, Jeremy did um, run for U.S. Congress back in 2020. Uh, he ended up um, uh, withdrawing from that campaign due to COVID. But um, he just, he went, Jeremy is a true patriot. He wants to fight and defend the American people. And that's, that's his way of doing it, is to represent the American people in our government that he's served for 20 years. And he, he wants to protect us and our way of life that we know. What about counsel? Has he um, has he got a, a, a good attorney? It li- literally, he needs a constitutional attorney. Um, cur- currently, we have a um, we just recently um, retained a, an attorney in the Tampa case, who is phenomenal, and we're really looking forward to working with him. As far as the DC case, um, he just recently had a Feretta hearing where he released his public defender, and um, he's currently representing himself in the DC case. So he's got two cases simultaneously. Correct. And have, have any, you know, prominent people uh, stepped forward to, to help him? I mean, obviously, this is the kind of case that should be getting national attention from not just uh, other politicians and particularly from other members of the military who are serving in Congress right now, but also from, uh, you know, this whole celebrity class, the uh, pundits on TV and the radio personalities. I, I only just found out about this case, and I think it's outrageous that I didn't know about this, and, and I can tell you, neither do my colleagues. Yeah, we definitely had um, a lot of support and people reaching out to us. Um, we are so blessed and thankful um, of the of the support that we've gotten. Jeremy does have a website. It's on jeremybrowndefense.com where you can learn more about him. Um, we have a donation page there. Um, we have T-shirts. And really, we've been just trying to raise the funds needed to um, to finance his, um, his legal counsel. And he did get uh, enough petition signed. His uh, campaign website, I know, is brown, the number four, Florida, brown4florida.com. And, uh, you know, I think anybody... That's his campaign website. Right. I think anybody who's listening to this program right now, particularly those of us here in Florida, if this doesn't just get on your last nerve, if this isn't the kind of story that should be spread all over the country... Uh, should be brought to the attention of politicians here locally. You've got, I'm going to make sure, I don't know if you've spoken with uh, Congressman Brian Mast, who was a former military, Michael Waltz, who's on your side of the, the state. These guys should get involved in this. Yeah, we, we do reach out to um, local and um, national, I mean, all over for um, support from uh, congressmen, state, uh, U.S., and we have gotten support, um, definitely. And I'll tell you one other person who should be behind this, and that's the uh, former president of the United States, 45, because it was at, at that rally that so many uh, Americans were put through the mill and, and treated this way. And for the FBI to have tried to coerce uh, a patriot into spying on his fellow citizens is so outrageous, and this is the stuff that belonged in the Dinesh D'Souza movie and certainly belongs in front of the president. I'll do my best to make sure it gets into some of their, you know, hands. But, you know, anything that we can do for you, anytime you need these airwaves, I know I'm going to be talking with uh, 
uh, Kathy Chamberlain, who is uh, very in- involved in this. Uh, she's a, an author. She wrote The Rules for Deplorables, and she's become very active in this campaign. Uh, but for anybody out there, if this story doesn't touch you somewhere deep inside, if you're not ready to get involved in this fight, then we're going to lose this country, and we're going to lose it quickly. So, again, go to the website. It's jeremybrowndefense.com, or the campaign website is Brown the number four, florida.com. And please make sure you talk to your local elected officials and that you get behind this campaign. Again, as I, as I said before, if there's anything, Tylene, that we can do to help you, please let me know. You now have my uh, information. You can email me, text me, whatever you need to do. Thank you, Joyce. I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you, too. All right. All right, that's, uh, that's, that gives me, I have to do that during our, our segment on the military because that's so outrageous to me. This is such a, this is such a miscarriage of justice. And what are you going to do about it? By the way, um, Kathy Chamberlain will be speaking at the, um, at the Kings Point uh, Conservative Republican Club, I believe on July 13th. You do not want to miss that. Um, because that will give you another way to get involved. Um, I'm just, this, the last 24 hours has made me so angry and upset with what's going on in my country that I can, as you can hear, barely breathe. I've been crying for hours. Anyway, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk with Dan Stein, because if you think it isn't just all this stuff, I got a border that's wide open and I got madmen crossing it with drugs, with uh, human trafficking and everything else. And I got a government that could care less about us. Every now and again, I just have to check in with my friend Dan Stein at the Federation of American Immigration Reform. And it seems, Dan, as though the news never gets any better, never gets any easier to understand, and actually in many ways uh, just makes me crazy. I don't know about you, but this has been one of the worst weeks in a long time uh, for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking, e- even though they, uh, you had the preliminary injunction against lifting uh, Title 41, how many illegal aliens do we have in this country right now, Dan? I mean, do you, do you know the number? Well, anywhere from 12 to 14 million. And Biden is doing everything he can to make sure that number grows dramatically in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what does, um, you know, this preliminary... Fact, if you think about it, Joyce, Biden has actually solved one element of the supply chain crisis, the supply of illegal aliens. He's really <laughs> exactly. got that nailed down. Yeah. And and I guess what the the problem for me is, you know, these temporary stays, this preliminary injunction, this isn't going to last. Well, remember, Biden has systematically dismantled the superstructure of immigration enforcement, like a house on the beach. He's taken the major pillars and the foundation until there's nothing left but a couple like a front door and a couple windows, which is what Title 42 is. It's a health-related provision. But otherwise, he's destroyed all elements of U.S. immigration control to the point now that the country is incredibly vulnerable. We're looking at a full-scale invasion at this point, and he doesn't care. I mean, that's the thing. It's not, it's not so much that he actually brought it about intentionally, but now there's no pivot. They're, like, watching the polls, watching the catastrophic political 
significance of what he's doing, nothing changes. And it's the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in, in my political experience. Well, I'll tell you what is changing. The amount of death that has come across these borders in the form of fentanyl. I live in Florida, which is, of course, rehab central. And we see numbers, you know, just in, in one county after another of hundreds and hundreds of overdose deaths every single week. And, you know, apparently that doesn't move the hearts of anybody in this administration. Their health and human service guy doesn't even, uh, isn't even a doctor, so I'm sure it doesn't bother him. He's all excited about more immigration. Well, I mean, nothing can explain Nothing can explain the screwed up priorities here. I mean, all of us obviously were horrified by what happened in Texas and those poor school children. And nobody can even begin to um, explain the magnitude of the horror. But by the same token, if you look at the numbers of fentanyl deaths and the fact that this stuff is being imposed by these Mexican drug cartels and much of the fentanyl is produced in China, and you wonder how they cannot care about the impact it's having on all these American lives, like, why, why do certain issues get so much attention and others don't get any attention at all? Uh, voters clearly are going to understand this and they're going to, they're going to have their say in November. Um, I don't know how we're supposed to get through. I mean, if Biden gets reelected somehow, Ugh. I can't imagine what the future of the country is when there's a complete collapse of the border. Yeah. Well, I could tell you, I live in one of the better states because we have a governor who is, you know, really uh, unafraid. Let me put it that way. Um, and will do things to preserve the sanctity of the people who, who live here. But right now, we're looking at a terrible problem, this mass immigration and people being you know, flown into Florida or making their way to Florida. Our population has skyrocketed from 18 and uh, some million to 21.9 in in you know less than a decade, the foreign-born share of that population is up from twenty percent to twenty, almost twenty-three percent. And guess what? All of those people consume uh, electricity. All of them have to have services like schools for their children. All of them are a burden on the uh, on the native-born. And I, I don't even know if it's this bad in Florida. I can't even imagine what it's like in Arizona and Texas. Well, Joyce, I mean, Congress has laws. They passed laws, and they need to be enforced. The, the, I mean, under the Trump administration, it was demonstrated that with the laws in place, immigration can be, to some extent, at least controlled. What Biden has done is turned this on its head, and he's using things like political asylum, humanitarian parole, he calls it, and, mm. and administering it illegally to simply process people into the country who have no right to be here. And at the same time, Cartels are using the way the administration is using asylum and, and parole to go around the Border Patrol. And when Border Patrol agents are busy processing aliens who are going to be admitted and, frankly, never removed, cartels are then smuggling fentanyl and human smuggling independent of them when the Border Patrol is distracted. So you have, a, you have essentially an administration that is a conspirator with cartels and smuggling operations. And if you actually just take a look at the nuts and bolts of this, what Biden has basically said is, I don't believe in the immigration law. It's an advisory opinion. And I don't like what the United States used to be. And I want to change it. And I want to use immigration to change it in a way that will advance the political power 
of the Democratic Party. And that's yeah. all that's going on here. Well, it's all that's going on, but it's going on at a pace that I, I can't believe. And you and I have been watching this for decades. But the increase in the numbers is just absolutely mind boggling to me. And then they have the audacity to say, oh, well, you know, these white supremacists are talking about replacement theory. That's what they've been talking about forever. I can't, you know, they I, talk I can't, about it all the time, all, all the, time. the time, the browning of America, the, the, the lack of diversity in this place and in that place. So now it's the fault of white, white supremacy. And I can tell you this, when I looked at some of the footage and, and it, it is so heartbreaking from Uvalde, which is right there uh, in, you know, on the border. And I saw those Hispanic American families who are so adversely affected. There weren't enough police that were able to show up at, at the time because they're on border patrol. And had it not been for an actual border patrol special ops guy, this could have gone on for another hour. And I just, it's, it's amazing mm -hmm. to me. If you think those Hispanic Americans are going to vote for Democrats, you, I got a bridge to sell you un, underwater in the Everglades. Well, in a sense, what Biden has done has so overreached that he's consolidated public opposition yes. to an immigration platform that nobody understood when he was running that he was going to try to implement. Right. And so, you know, the Republican Party has a chance to become the party of Hispanic voters, maybe even a significant percentage of African-American voters, working families, um, and people who care about the country. You have never seen the radicalization of the Democratic Party because they lost the South, they lost mm -hmm. unionized labor and mature manufacturing. They're desperately trying to find a new constituency. So they keyed in on mass immigration as a way to try to balance what they thought were the aging baby boomers becoming more conservative. And that's why they're so invested in promoting illegal immigration and maximizing immigration by whatever means necessary. But mm -hmm. Hispanic Americans, they're the ones most directly affected. Yes. They say this guy in Buffalo, who is obviously a lunatic, shot up this new supermarket with African-Americans, and they said that's replacement theory. Well, that's ridiculous. Those African-Americans are the most directly impacted by mass immigration, and they've also probably been here way before that Buffalo shooter. So that's that right. whole concept of replacement theory in the context of this guy is absurd. And the whole mm -hmm. thing is absurd. Basically, the left projects what it itself is trying to do and blaming conservatives when they raise the issue of saying, look, you're using immigration on purpose. To try to change the country and they say oh 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 oh, oh we're, no we're not no we're not you know obviously what what else is the agenda besides that and grinding the face of the average american worker yeah no it is it is uh it, it's so frustrating as i said this has been one of the saddest weeks in a long time for me because i just don't see uh, enough Republicans, to put it honest, uh, who who have courage to fight this. I mean, with the exception of a Ron Johnson here and there, and a Louis Gohmert here and there, and and a hand, and two two Democrats who finally put up a little fight in Cinema and Mark Kelly, uh, you know, the rest of the country just seems to be ignoring this issue because there's another shiny thing to look at. You know, today Mitch McConnell's calling for gun control. You know, Mitch, how about uh, you know closing down the border? They just, they just can't well, stay focused. Republicans, they, they rarely come through when they need you on this. Yes, yesterday they were trying to muster the votes to pass a resolution of disapproval of these regulations that Biden 
as the administration has issued, it would essentially turn asylum into a revolving door, yeah. a gateway, by having officers on the border who just rubber stamp applications. Mm-hmm. And the resolution of disapproval, which they can pass in Congress, failed by about four or five votes. And one of the major reasons was that three Republicans missed the vote. Just and it's apparently it. just not important enough for these yeah. guys to show up and vote on something like this. So yeah. McConnell is constantly, you know, repivoting back to the center. And I don't see, like Chuck Schumer, I don't see the Democrats doing anything but ratcheting things farther to the left all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, our, our hope is that the American people are smart. I, I believe that the collective intelligence of the American people is much higher than politicians give us credit for. And if they don't sure, see what's going on right now, then uh, then there is no hope. So, uh, Dan, always a pleasure. You know, uh, well, when I say a pleasure, Dan, you and I always get to talk about the saddest things, but it's always a pleasure. Well, yeah, call- but, it is, but, it is, but it's a pleasure knowing that the American people are smart yes. and that they can be trusted with the truth. They can be trusted to make good, sound decisions. And, uh, you know, that's that's correct. Politicians routinely underestimate the intelligence of the average American. And that's why so many of them wind up failing. Mm -hmm. If you trust the people, we always have to remain optimistic, Joyce. That's the strength in the American people. Absolutely. And I guess what makes me glad is that you're my friend. Take care, Dan. Always appreciate it. Don't forget to visit the website, fairus.org. Get all the information that you need to have this discussion. Always appreciate your call. All right, that uh, leads us to this bottom of the hour, and I think I'll check in with my one and only son. Well, my one and only son who texted me just a little while ago because kids just never stop asking their moms for stuff, do they? Anyway, stay right where you are. We'll be right back. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood. It's only the Kaufman family can bring it. And it's that time where I get to check in with La La Land. That would be Los Angeles, where my son Derek is one of the uh, attorneys as well as stand-up comics at TMZ. So he gets all the breaking news that I have to wait for, but not really because he texts me when it's really important. How you doing, kid? I'm doing all right. It's been as busy as things can be in the world of celebrity. Uh, we have constant stream of uh, you know Johnny Depp news, uh, which oh. is a, for, a first for me. We haven't had a celebrity trial like this. In my in my time here, I was you know pre OJ, uh, so this is pretty wild. And it's just so fascinating. I mean, I cannot believe how many people were involved in these two's lives. I mean, both of them had relationships. Uh, she with Elon Musk, him with Kate Moss, him with Ellen Barkin. I mean, it's like a who's who of dating. It, it really is. I mean, you you have to remember. Johnny Depp is one of the most famous people on earth. So, of course, his romances over the years have been very high profile. And he dated famously in the 90s, maybe one of the it couples of the 90s, uh, was Kate Moss and Johnny Depp. It was like Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. They were a huge couple. Um, And Kate testified because Amber had, had 
testified about a moment where she protected her sister from Johnny Depp, or at least, you know, alleges that she needed to protect her sister from Johnny Depp and had a moment in her head that there was a rumor that Kate Moss had been shoved down the stairs by Johnny Depp. So she says that rumor stuck in her head and made her jump to her sister's defense. Well, Kate got on the stand and blew that all up. So Kate mm. said, yeah, I dated Johnny Depp. And that moment uh, was a rumor and it was untrue. And in, in actuality, I slipped down the stairs and Johnny came out to help me. So it, it backfired in the worst way for Amber Heard because she wants to paint Johnny Depp as a monster and she wants to right. paint a pattern of his abuse in other relationships. And Kate Moss uh, told a story of his chivalry and his tenderness and his empathy in, in helping her while she got hurt. So it's really been rough for for Amber uh, in this case. However, I will say she doesn't need to prove all of this. She just needs to prove that Johnny Depp was abusive towards her. Um, mm-hmm. She's chosen to do that by painting him as a monster in other relationships, and that hasn't worked out so well. But it's not her task to prove that Johnny Depp abused everyone. And remember, Ellen Barkin did sort of back up some of these allegations. You know, the one that I've been wondering about who's never been mentioned is Winona Ryder, because they had a very long relationship. It's true. I was expecting Winona to be part of this as well, because there's been reports in the press where she said, this was not my experience with Johnny Depp either. And, and mm-hmm. they had a very messy relationship toward the end. Famously, Johnny Depp has a tattoo that right. said Winona forever at one point, And then when they broke up, he changed it to Wino forever, um, <laughs> which is an interesting sort of twist, given that a lot of the allegations are about how much wine Johnny Depp drinks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> mega pints and so forth. So I did expect to see her, but I'm not, it doesn't look like we're going to see, uh, hear from Winona at least directly. Yeah. How much longer do you think this can go on? You're an attorney. Yeah, look, it is, it's wrapping up, but it is complicated because there's the lawsuit uh, that he filed for defamation, then her countersuit. So there's just a lot of witness testimony that has to be laid out. They have to introduce exhibits. I think it'll be a fairly quick deliberation, even though it's a very confusing case. I think it's so messy, the jury's going to get back there and say, what do we do with this? And they'll probably come to a fairly quick conclusion. I'm not sure what that'll be. My my guess is neither will really win much money, and it'll be sort of a a tie, if you will. I don't think Mm -hmm. either will will succeed in, in winning $100 million or $50 million. I don't think you'll see anything like that. But I do think publicly both of them are irreparably damaged by this file. I agree, and apparently she's getting, like, death threats or making up that she is, so um, I I hope she keeps a low profile for a while. (laughs) Yeah. The other story... Yeah, she was sobbing. Yeah, the other story that I thought was really, you know, just sad, uh, maybe because for many of us, um, the old mobster, gangster movies uh, are, are very important. They're part of, certainly part of your childhood and definitely part of my young adulthood, and one of my favorite movies, and I know one of your favorites, is Goodfellas. And to find yeah, out yeah. that Ray Liotto has passed just broke my heart. Uh, it was heartbreaking for me. You know, I grew up, you're from the generation who thinks The Godfather is the greatest mobster movie of all time. I am from the generation that thinks Goodfellas is the greatest mobster movie of all time. It, it had a huge impact on me as a kid. You know, I, I love Rocky, but I've always said my top three movies are, are are basically Rocky II, uh, you know, Goodfellas, and then Rocky One. So I sandwiched the Rockies in there. But but this is devastating to me. Ray Liotta was beloved. He's also in Field of Dreams. He played Shoeless Joe Jackson. He's had one of those careers where he's been in so many important movies. Uh, he was Johnny not, Depp's the father. Star in the world. Yeah, he was Johnny Depp's yeah. father in uh, Blow. In Blow. In Blow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, he passed peace. 
sleep, uh, he was filming a, a movie called Dangerous mm-hmm. Waters um, in the Dominican Republic. You know, he's his, he has a fiance. You know, he's relatively young, he's 67 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he just passed away in his sleep. And it's, it's devastating news for the movie community because it's so unexpected. And, and 67, as I get older, and I'm sure as you get older, I'm it older doesn't than seem that. that old. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't seem old enough to pass. He had a lot left to give. He was in the middle of filming something. He always had projects. You look at his IMDb, he was a very active, yes. um, you know, actor. And, and mm-hmm. he was always on screen in some form or another, had a great sense of humor, always very nice to us in the field when we talked to him. And uh, this one hurts. This one hurts. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So let me ask you, are you and Nixie going to be doing the father-daughter dating like uh, Kanye and North are doing? And will you take her to Nobu? I, I will take her to Nobu uh, eventually, <laughs> although it's a very expensive sushi dinner. Uh, but I probably won't dress like the Grim Reaper, which he appears to be dressed like in his hoodie. Uh, he has everything but a scythe. Uh, like showing up to pick up my daughter, I might wear some lighter colors. It's generally a happier time when you're with your daughter, and he looks rather somber, uh, like he's stalking her, <laughs> like like death. Um, but it's cute. Look, they are obviously having a tough time in this back and forth with Kim, and it's nice to, it's always beautiful to see a a father with their daughter. I mean, that touches me in a way, and I'm feeling very emotional this week in particular um, with the news of the shooting in in Texas, and when I see fathers and daughters, I feel very uh, moved all of the time. I don't know if it's something about aging or starting a family, um, but this, this touched me. Yeah. Yeah, it is touching. And, you know, of course, which brings us to Kim. And, of course, that brings us to uh, Peter Davidson. Um, Why is he leaving SNL? Here's my theory, and you tell me if I'm far off. You cannot keep up with the Kardashians if you have to be in New York filming a show two nights a week. I think that's exactly right. I also think, I think that's a big, big part of it. Look, Pete Davidson was never a huge, important cast member on SNL. I'm a fan of the show. He was always an awkward fit because it's a sketch comedy show, and he's a stand-up comedian, and, and right. a pretty good one. But he would go on Weekend Update, give his little spiel, and then he would sort of show up in skits here and there. But he's so long and gangly that you can't get lost in his impressions in the same way as some of the other talented people who are on that show and, and actually perfected that craft. So I think leaving was probably a pretty easy decision. I don't think he ever really loved his time there. And he's now dating the most famous woman in the world, who's quite high maintenance, I would say. I think she probably would even admit to as much. And he wants to start a movie career being in L.A. and, you know, obviously going to spend some time in Calabasas with the Kardashians. I think it just made sense for him to move on and not have to fly coast to coast to be with his uh, lady love. Now, how long this will last? I think they're very much in the honeymoon phase. And Pete Davidson is known for sweeping girls off their feet and then not marrying them. Look at Ariana Grande and a world of romance with Kate Beckinsale. There's so many of them. Um, right, so we'll right. see, but this does seem like it's got legs for now. Yeah, he is so ugly to have all those beautiful women. It just blows my mind. <laughs> but but your, I get, your word, not mine, but yeah, it, it's shocking, right? It is shocking. And, and to tattoo not just your girlfriend's name on your neck, but her children's name, who happen to be Kanye's children, just seemed a little out there to me. Yeah, I thought that was in poor taste, I'll be honest with you. I yeah. haven't been the biggest fan. I've been pretty outspoken about this relationship. and uh, But, you know, I thought that was such, it was in such poor taste. But, you know, Kanye is fragile. We know that, and he's easily triggered. And I thought that was a move that is only going to inflame the problems that they're already facing. 
Yeah. Well, everybody's emotional about that shooting, as you pointed out. You had uh, Beto O'Rourke literally needing to be thrown off, uh, you know, a platform for trying to talk about it. But uh, Jimmy Kimmel went went a, a little berserk. They had to excise his monologue from there as well. But I think you're right. I think I think parents uh, feel it, and 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 it is a tough time. I just hope that we... Yeah, we, you feel it really deeply. You know, yeah. you, you drop your kid off and you bestow a tremendous amount of trust in, in the facility that they're at. And I don't want to have that fear. You know, I've got a, a daughter in, in elementary school. And so, yeah, this one this one definitely hit me differently this time. Right. Well, and as I've always said, we have to do better at protecting those uh, schools. Uh, you know, that is the most important thing. And bye-bye, Ellen DeGeneres. Can't say I'm going to miss her. <laughs> that's it. Good riddance from you. Yeah, that's enough. You know, I, I mean, I, I never really uh, liked Ellen. I didn't like her in her comedy show. I didn't think she made a great talk show host, and I don't like the way she dresses. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. So, so this is a happy day for you. Look, she was beloved for a long time. I think she was nineteen years by the end with all the rumors of the workplace environment. Um, and I think you know she's got a nice soft landing. She's got many, many tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, well, bring back Wendy Williams, can we? <laughs> you got it. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right. Take care, and thanks. Talk to you soon. All right. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. I- insanity in L.A. and the insanity in just about everywhere else. I, um, I'm just glad. I'm glad this week is over. This has been a very, very difficult week, a very emotional week, and I, I know I'm not alone. Uh, I, I'm not one of these people who sits and watches over and over again um, these sort of tragic, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, these scenes at these large-scale tragedies where you have no alternative, you cannot look away from the pain. And you can't even wrap your mind around the pain. That's the part that's so difficult for me because, you know, I try. I really did. I tried to avoid watching uh, too much about the shooting in Uvalde at the elementary school, but there was just so much footage and there was just so much controversy and it brought back so many memories. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I've had to, you know, be on the air during... Uh, just awful events, Oklahoma City, uh, 9-11, you know, the just awful events, Uh, Sandy Hook, Columbine. And I find it so invasive that members of the media are constantly thrusting microphones into the faces of people who are just they're just distraught. And it's interesting because one of the people who I used to really dislike who did that um, is now going to be coming on board a network I watch. But uh, uh, she had an unbelievable ability to walk up to a grieving person and stick a microphone in their face. And I, I just, for me, that's something that's, un, I could never do it and I don't enjoy watching it. And it just pains me. It pains me to see that. And then to have the questions rolling around in my mind that we all have rolling around. I walked out of my house this morning 
and one of my neighbors, uh, a neighbor that yeah, I'm friendly enough with, but uh, we don't get in, into a lot of long, drawn-out conversations. And he looked at me and said, they didn't go inside. They never walked inside, Joyce. Those parents were out there screaming for the police to go inside, and they didn't go inside. And I saw the same footage, and I understand. I understand there's a lot of reasons, um, and that we don't know all the facts yet. But I understand the pain, and I think about what it must have been like to have run up to that school and to have known that you had a child that was inside of that school and you're standing behind a police officer. There's one mother who became so distraught, they handcuffed her. She was screaming and yelling, they handcuffed her and they finally took off the handcuffs. She went past the police and ran into the building and brought her two children out. That's a, that's a testimony to what a mother's heart is feeling. And I'm not dismissing the police officers and the uh, special forces that were there. They have lots of reasons for not doing things. And eventually, maybe we'll understand that. But I have to tell you that as a, uh, a mother, a grandmother, a concealed weapons permit holder, if I walk up on a scene like that, a scene like that, I have only one thing on my mind. I have got to neutralize that shooter as quickly as possible. And there may be more than one shooter. I don't know. But I've got to get in there and see if I can s save someone. And yet, that's not what we watched unfolding on the, the television set last night. And just the heartbreak of these parents. We're talking about nine-year-olds and eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds, you know, it, it, the, the babies in Sandy Hook were so little that, you know, you were just starting to know them. But a nine and a 10-year-old, like those are people with personalities that you know well. People that are, you know, starting to make plans for their future. Little girls who are starting to talk about little boy, all of this stuff. And it just tears me up, it really does. And then to watch, uh, you know, the Beto O'Rourke's of the world try to make a political statement in the middle of the pain. It's rough. It's just hard for me. So this was an emotional week. Not to mention there were some other emotional things that were happening this week. And, and everybody's got stuff going on in their lives, right? I mean, we're all trying to figure out how we navigate through these very troubling times you know, supply chain and this. Yeah, I, I, I watched a friend struggle to get a car. Couldn't find a used, you know, a little minivan or SUV, has a number of children and just every day out there looking, but used cars are at a premium. New cars are, you gotta get on waiting lists. And, you know, I, I thank God every day that I have this, you know, faithful car that, with 260,000 miles on it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just so grateful. But what happens when it stops running, which eventually it will, I'm gonna be the one out there trying to figure out, like, what difference does the supply chain make to me? I need a car. You know, if you need formula for your baby, you don't want to hear supply chain. You don't want to see pallets of formula coming in from foreign countries. 
If we can bring in pallets of formula from foreign countries, why can't we bring medications in from foreign countries that are, are saving lives in other places? Just so many questions have come up this month. And on top of it all, it's Memorial Day weekend. And every year I go through the same uh, you know, explanation to a number of people that this is not Veterans Day, this is Memorial Day. This is about those that gave it all, the ones who did not come back. And I have a special Memorial Day show that will be airing on Monday. But, uh, you know, it, it, it brings me very, very much in touch with the fact that, uh, you know, the, the Tree of Liberty is truly watered with the blood of patriots. It's not you and me that stand on that wall in the middle of the night preserving these freedoms that we then so glibly ignore or 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 feel too tired to to talk about or 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 rally for it's it's those men and women and some of them don't come back so make sure you say something to a gold star family make sure you say something to a friend or a family member who has lost a loved one in war and, and make sure you say something loving and wonderful and kind to your children and your grandchildren because in this day and age, we just don't know. We have no idea. I pray that there's a hedge of protection around every single school in America today. And I hope that you and yours are safe. And I'll be back on Monday, on Tuesday. Well, I'll be back on Monday if it be his will and he delays his coming. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America.